I was sitting down there <clears throat> and realized that I desperately need some water. And so I was thinking, the Bible says if we give, and I'm talking about loving one another, and the Bible says if we give even as much as a cup of water to one of these little ones of mine, great is your reward. And it kind of scares me because I had to ask Titus if I could have his water, and it doesn't mention what happens if you take water from somebody. <laughs> so, anyway. Thanks, Titus. I really did need this. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. If God so loved us, shouldn't we love one another? There's so much to be said here, but I want to expound on what, is, what it says and to marvel at the magnitude of what is, Im- what is implied. My hope today is that God would lift these words off the pages of Scripture and put them deep in our heart. Question, if God so loved us, the skeptic might say, why does he hide? Who is God? Why is he such a mystery? How can we possibly know him? We can't see him. We can't hear him. And we have never talked to him, so how can we know him? Or know who he is? Or what he's like? As a result, they deny the obvious power and glory as seen in creation. And make God in their image and likeness. They become futile in their speculation, and and their foolish hearts are darkened. They exchange the glory for the immortal God, for the images made to look like mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Whatever God is, we can be sure he's not of our time, space, matter, dimension. Or we would see him, and we could talk to him and hear him and know him, But he's not of our nature. We, as humans, cannot penetrate his space. We from here cannot reach God. Our only hope of truly knowing the Almighty is if for some reason he would enter our time and space. He would himself become one of us and reveal himself to us and ultimately come to us and in our simple way explain himself to us. The Bible, God's written word, written revelation to us, so well explains it. In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is In the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. 
to make God known to us, and that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. The only reason, the only reason we can know and love God is because he first loved us and revealed himself to us. The capacity we have to love one another will greatly be influenced by the depth of love and gratitude we have toward God and our view of his majesty and his glory. Everything we read and learn in scripture from his, and from his creation should be held up and illuminated by God's glory. To me, the thing that illuminates God's glory more than anything else is his creation. We can see it, we can touch it, we experience it. We are part of it. And we have been given, like no other creature he has, the ability to discover it. The more that I learn about what science has discovered with regard to God's creation, the more I am astonished at what power, what majesty, what glory the God we serve has. I can say God is all-powerful, and I can believe it. But in these last days, God has given us the ability to discover his power through a much, much deeper knowledge and understanding of his creation. The magnitude of God's creation, which he has allowed us to experience through scientific discovery, should leave us in awe and give accent to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that we are without excuse. And yet today, by virtue of the same science, many have constructed ideas, have constructed reasons to doubt and not acknowledge the God of creation, again giving credibility to Scripture. They become futile in their speculation, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Professing to be wise, they become fools. In King David's day, he was able to recognize God's glory through observing God's creation. Psalms 19.1.4 says, The heavens declare your glory, the glory of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. If people then were without excuse for not recognizing God in his creation, where does that leave us today? It leaves us without excuse. There is nothing that leaves me more in awe of our God, his power, and glory than to read what science has learned in the last 30 years and continues to learn about God's creation, the immensity of the universe, the complexity of his design, the fine-tuning so necessary for life to exist on this planet is staggering, way beyond our comprehension. 
Some 30, 40 to 50 years ago, it was believed for life to exist. All you needed to have was a sun, a star the size of our sun, and a planet that was about the same distance away. Today, it's recognized that there are some 200 variables that have to be precisely fine-tuned, and it staggers the imagination. In a sense, this should scare, in a sense, this should scare the daylights out of us, that we are sitting on a huge rock that has a circumference of roughly 24,900 miles, an estimated weight of 6.6 sextillion tons, which is a billion, a trillion, a billion times. That we are spinning, we are sitting here spinning at a time, at a speed of a thousand miles per hour and careening through space at a, spa- at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour held in orbit by an invisible power called gravity. And fortunately, here we sit and don't feel a thing. And that is such a small thing of God's creation. A Nobel Prize winning physicist, who, by the way, is not a believer, says in order for the universe to exist, the energy density of the universe, which is referred to as a cosmological constant, whatever that is, were different by just one part, one part in 10 with 120 zeros. Life in the universe, this universe, could not exist. Now, you have no idea what, what, 10, what 10 with 120 zeros is. Scientists also estimate that the number of atoms in our universe is 10 to the 80th power. But the chances with this cosmological constant, which had to be so precise, this one chance in 10 with 120 zeros. I could give you numbers, but they are so gargantuous, they can't be comprehended. And at that time, such a big universe, so specific, the mass The massive universe consists of elements called atoms. So tiny, a man's hair is about a million carbon atoms in width. Now I want you to see the glory of God before I show you what it is for God to give his life for us. I want you to see his glory. I want you to think that he is not just plain all-powerful. He is all Powerful. The atom that makes up the universe is basically empty space. It is estimated that if you took all the empty space out of all the atoms of all the people in the human race, you could fit all mankind into something the size of a sugar cube. 
You are basically empty space. And when you look into it, it's amazing. It's mind-boggling. The God, that God has shown himself in his creation, in the creation of the universe, is so gigantic, it far exceeds the ability to come close to fathom it. All the while, made of particles so tiny that it's impossible for us to comprehend it. I just want you to try to envision the glory and power of God's majesty. Romans 1, 11, 33. This isn't the context of Romans 1, 33. But I think as best as it does says what I'm feeling with regard to God. But when I think of the power of the Almighty and the glory of God, I think it's proper to use this application. Oh, the depth of the riches, both in the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways far beyond finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who can be his counselor? And who was given to him that he might be paid back? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. God, Yahweh, who created all there is, does not live in our time and space. In our time and space dimension. He infinitely exceeds it. We can know God and somewhat of his power and majesty through what he created. But who is going to explain him? It had to be God himself communicating to us in a way that we can comprehend. We can't reach him. He had to come to us. Ideas are best communicated through words. And I've always wondered why Yahweh described the person of the triune God who created all things as the word. Could it be because God's relationship with mankind would be explained and understood through the teachings of words from Jesus Christ, who is the word? made flesh. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 14 says, And the Word who created all this became flesh. And lived among us. That is Jesus. That's why, that's why there is no other name under heaven given to men by whom he must be saved. Our Redeemer had to be our Creator. Verse 18 No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. It is only through God coming to us as the word 
becoming flesh in the person in the person of Jesus so he could explain the triune God to us and what would be done for us. Hebrews 10.5 says, When Christ came into the world, he says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That body was Jesus. Colossians 1.13, The Father rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, for him. Do you see who Jesus is? Judging from what we have come to know, through what we have learned from creation, parting the Red Sea was peanuts. Yet, this God, I want you to see him. I want you to imagine his glory beyond the universe. This God loved you and me so much, he gave his only son to die for us, which makes me ask the question, what is man? King David asked that question in Psalms 8. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels and you crown him with glory and majesty. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and ox, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Genesis 1.26 said, Then God said, Let us make men. This is it. This is it. Let us make men in our image. You are made in the image of God. I am made in the image of God. According to our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was created in God's image, in God's image. He was given the authority over all things that God created. He was given a free will, and he chose to disobey, which is sin. Romans 5.12 tells us sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. Romans 12, 623 tells us the wages of sin is death. John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. 
Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, man who is loved dearly by God and made in God's image was deceived by Satan and captured by him. We became sins. We became slaves of sin. People we needed to rescue. And there's only one who could perform that rescue. Colossians 1.13 and 14 tells us, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption. Listen, the sins that we have all committed, we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the creator of everything, the promised redeemer who would explain God, who would shine light on our sinfulness and pay for our ransom. But how would we know it's him? How are we going to, what do we look for? When is he coming? So many will come claiming to be his name. And pastor shared some Very good things this morning with regard to how we would know him. I'm going to refer to just a little bit in Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus came. He told us just a little bit what to look for. First of all, it won't be a king that will be returning. At that time, they'll sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open the seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This time, this time watch for one who will be like a lamb, a lamb led to the slaughter, a suffering servant, who will lay down his life as a ransom for his people. He will be despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Watch for him. This one will be like one from whom you will hide your face. You won't admit him. Like one from whom, or he will be despised, and you will esteem him not. This is who's coming to save you. Surely it was our grief that he himself bore and our sorrow that he carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquity. The chastisement, the punishment for our well-being I get excited when I think about this. It fell on him. And by his scourging were healed. You see, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted. And like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearer. So he did not even open his mouth. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one 
my servant will justify the many as he will bear their our iniquities. God is love. And this is love. Not that we love God. We can say, I love God. That's not love. But that God loved us and send his son. Not just send his son. Send his son a sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, shouldn't we love one another? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The thing, some of what makes us so special, that the creator, and I want you to see the expanse, what it means to be the creator of everything. You cannot fathom it, just like you cannot fathom the glory of God, yet he laid it all down. The thing that makes you so special that the creator of everything suffered the penalty of crucifixion to redeem you for his glory and that you are his image bearer for his glory and that you are his image bearer. Think of that when we live our life. We're God's image bearer. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then our king will say to those on his right, Come ye, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And Lord, when, when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? We'd remember that. When did we see you a stranger and bring you in? Or see you naked and clothe you? Lord, we don't remember. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did unto me. Don't you see? When Jesus said, if you feed someone in his name, if you feed someone in his name, 
Don't see the one you're feeding. That's Jesus. If you give a cup of water to somebody in his name, you're doing that for Jesus. I think of our ministry at Beacon of Hope. When we don't see the people coming in, we see Jesus. Now Matthew 5.47 says, because I can hear somebody might be saying, well, he's talking mostly to fellow believers, and he might be. But in Matthew 5.47, he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? If we greet only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do that? I want us to remember that our love needs to go out to everybody. I want us to remember first and foremost that but for the grace of God, no matter who you see, no matter if he's a drunk, an alcoholic, no matter if he's dumb or intelligent, whatever, I want us to realize that whatever we do to them, we do unto Jesus. And you might say, well, he's not my brother. I want you to think of this. Maybe it is that kind deed that God is waiting for you to do that's going to bring that person into your kingdom, into his kingdom. Now, I want you to think of the love of God, how extensive that is. And I want to say this once more. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If God so loved us, shouldn't we love one another? Go to eat right after this. I have, I'm praying, going to pray for the food. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I pray that you help, help us to reflect your goodness. Help us to love one another. And, and we know that that's always not easy. We know that the only way that we could ever accomplish anything like that is, is to see your glory, to see the love you showed for all mankind realizing that while we were yet your enemy, you send your son to die for us. Father, we are so grateful to you for all you do for us, all you give on our behalf. We want to thank you for the people who so faithfully put this meal on every month, and, and Lord, that you put it on their heart. I want to thank you for the people here tonight and pray that you, you bless them in a special way. And Father, more than anything, I pray that we would have good fellowship, that you would be glorified. We thank you for the food we're about to eat. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're free to go eat. Just remember, the first will be last.